Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Simply Fit Podcast. I am back with a solo episode today, and I hope that you guys enjoyed the most recent episode with Tej. It was really, really great to have her on and great to have a guest back on as well. And on that note, we've got plenty of great guests coming up and one coming up in the next couple of episodes which I know you guys are absolutely going to love so stay tuned for that as well and if you did listen to the last episode you would have heard myself and Tej talking about training partners and I mentioned on that episode that I don't think that I've discussed training partners in depth on the podcast so I think that's going to be the best place for us to start today so we'll get going with that training question which is Elliot should I train with a training partner or even training partners And if you did listen to the last episode, you would have got the answer to the second part of the question, which is that if you are going to train with another person and it's in a traditional gym and not a group facility or a class, etc., you should probably just train with one person. Like once you add another person into the mix, in my opinion, things get messy. And there's there's several reasons for this, right? Like gyms aren't the biggest places in the world, especially the free weights area and a group of three people can easily crowd the place. Your rest periods are likely going to be far too long, especially if you're taking Taking it in turns and you know each person needs to have a set before you can go back in it's going to be way easier to get distracted i know that i would be more distracted if i had like plenty of people around and if you're a big group of dudes you may seem intimidating and if you're a big group of females you may also seem intimidating as well i think the list goes on so unless it's a team sport a class a circuit or even just a one-off when maybe one or more of your friends is in town and aside from those circumstances i believe you should only ever train as a pair so now that's out of the way i want to present you with the pros and cons, give you my honest opinion. And as always, once I present you with all the information, you'll be well informed enough to make a choice that best serves you. So let's get started with the pros to having a training partner. And the first and probably one of the most compelling reasons to train with a friend, family member, colleague, or a spouse is that 
there's so much more accountability and motivation. So just by having another person there waiting for you, it will exponentially increase your chances of showing up. For a lot of people, it isn't about the training session itself. It's actually about getting to the gym in the first place. A lot of people are fine once they arrive at the gym. It's the challenge of sticking to their commitment when they say they're actually going to go and then following through with that. But once you add another person into the mix, the accountability goes up considerably. There's now someone there counting on you to show up. Like we don't want to let that person down. But aside from that as well, the enjoyment of the session might go up knowing you're going to interact with that person, providing more incentive to go. You know, you might enjoy training more when others are around. There's quite a few more reasons not to skip the session. And that is a major pro. And the second part to this, as I mentioned, is motivation. You're not always going to be motivated. We're all very aware of this by now. We also know that if you want to achieve any significant results, you need to learn to show up even when you do not want to. And with that in mind, you might be really unmotivated one day and you might message your friend and say, I don't really fancy it today, but they're motivated. And they say, hell no, I'm up for this session and you're not going to let me down. So you better get your butt over here and we're going to have a good session, right? And if someone has that type of energy and is 110% ready when you arrive at the gym, even if you don't feel like it, their energy will be infectious. And I guarantee you're going to have a pretty decent session and it's going to be way better than the one you would have skipped if they had not been there. And we've also got to consider, you know, what about that set that we potentially don't have the confidence to do yet or that weight on the bar that we've not really confident enough to lift yet. If you have a training partner saying, Elliot, you've got this, come on, one more, let's go. You are so much more likely to succeed and make great, great progress in your training. And this actually allows us to transition nicely into the next benefit, which is performance increases. So many people hold themselves back within their training due to lack of confidence when it comes to making progress, specifically when it comes to lifting heavier weights and pushing themselves beyond their limits or their pre-imposed limits. And don't get me wrong, sometimes this is wise and I don't want people putting themselves into a position where they don't feel safe. However, when you have a training partner, you almost always have a spotter that you can utilize. And for those of you who haven't heard the term spotter, it's essentially someone who will be there to help you during those challenging sets or all your sets if needed. They'll help, you know, just lift up the weight a little bit, provide that little bit of extra motivation, give you some teaching cues, etc. But we've got to recognize here that not all spotters are created equally. Some people are absolutely terrible at it. So uh, firstly, let's uh, identify a bad spotter. First of all, they will not be paying attention. They're probably going to be scrolling on Instagram or taking selfies whilst you're lifting. I'll go through the characteristics of a good spotter in just a second as well. The bad spotter will probably put their hands on the weights, bar, or your body, even when you don't need them to, and potentially do that lift for you. And they'll also potentially let you go into unsafe territory during a set when it's not worth it. A good spotter, on the other hand, will be attentive. They'll understand when you need a bit of extra verbal motivation and give you those teaching cues that you need. They will very lightly touch the bar or your body only, and I repeat, only when it's needed. There is nothing more frustrating when you're about to push through your sticking point of a lift and someone touches it prematurely. It drives me nuts. I'm very, very particular about who I get to spot me these days. And on that note, try and not get any close family members or maybe your relationship partner to spot you as if you're really struggling and they're going, then they're thinking, okay, if this bar falls on them, they're going to A&E. They might want to save you and they might care more about your safety than 
annual gains, which is great, but it is, you know, they're probably going to touch it prematurely. And on the final note, a good spotter will give you guidance on when you're in an unsafe position and potentially when to call the set. I know in the past, just as a byproduct of having someone's presence during a heavy lift, it gives me that safety net, that extra confidence that will allow me to potentially break a personal record or even just attempt a lift that's a little bit more ballsy than I would alone because I know if I don't make it, there's someone there to help me safely out of it. And this certainly can be helpful. And as I won't go through the like the cons of not having a, a spotter, I do want to quickly touch on, you know, what you can do if you're not going to have a training partner and if you're going to attempt a heavier lift. So I personally train alone around 95% of the time and I'm not going to let that stop me doing any heavy lifts. If you're watching my Instagram stories, you'll know full, you'll be fully aware of that. So the first thing you can do here, if you want to attempt new personal records is ask one of the personal trainers who's around, the fitness instructor that's around or someone in the gym who looks like they know what they're doing. This may seem a bit daunting, but if someone says no, they're simply just quite simply being rude. Like I don't ask people much these days, but I don't think ever in my life has anyone said no if I've asked them. So the next thing of once you find a good person to spot you is that it's really important that you give them specific instructions. In the past, my instructions will literally be this, only touch or take the bar if the weight is going to crush me. If not, let me struggle for as long as I need to until I complete the set. And even if it does look like it's going to crush me, only then use your fingertips. Let me take the majority of it. And it's so important that you give your spotter instructions as this can make or break your lift. If you're not going to go down this route, one big pro of this is that you actually learn your limits as well. You get very, very good at gauging when you should attempt lifts and when you probably shouldn't. The only challenge is that it comes with time and trial and error and also leaving your ego um, at the gym reception. And I can distinctly remember trying an incline bench press that I shouldn't have done. And I was kind of, I scraped my face on the barbell as I tried to get beneath the bar, but you know, it was a lesson learned. It was not fun, but I had to learn that lesson. So if you don't have a training partner, ask someone who looks like they know what they're doing, give them specific instructions or, and learn through trial and error. So finally, I want to give some quick fire benefits. So next up is friendly competition. Most of us are likely to work harder if someone else is watching. We also want to be, you know, low key a bit stronger and beat the other person, especially if they are a friend or family member or colleague potentially. Next is training with a partner may bring out the best in you. Next is that you're going to be potentially more adventurous. Like if you're afraid to try that yoga class on your own, if you went with a buddy and you know, you might actually think, oh, well, if we're terrible, then at least we're terrible together. And you can laugh at it rather than being embarrassed. So there is the potential that you're going to be trying new classes, equipment with that training partner, especially if they're a good friend of yours. The next is more fun. Like I personally love my training, but I know not everyone does. And you know, at least if you're going to the gym and you're spending the time with someone's company you enjoy, you're both more likely to have a much more enjoyable session. And then finally, you're going to be more social. In most gyms, it's like headphones in, world out. And although that's preferable for most of us, being able to spend an hour socializing with someone whilst working out may give you, you know, extra benefits, a bit of a two birds and one stone from that perspective. So as you can see, there are plenty of benefits, but of course, there is always a downside. So let's get started on the cons. So earlier, we spoke about one of you being motivated. However, if your training partner is constantly not motivated and is complaining about the gym all the time, 
this may eventually bring down your morale and your energy. Like, let's say you're new to the gym and although you're excited about the prospect of improving your health and fitness, your comfort zone of not exercising is not too far behind you. If every time you go to the gym and you've got someone who's whining, complaining, making excuses as to why you shouldn't be going or maybe taking it a little bit easier, it won't be long until their negative energy impacts you. Starting a habit like exercise is hard enough, even if you love it. If you don't and you've got someone else's negativity to handle every time you go to the gym, it's going to be even more of an uphill battle. And on to the next, which is some people are just very flaky. And I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of flaky people whatsoever. I, I doubt most people are a fan of flaky people, but if I make a plan with you and you pull out last minute without any good reason, I'm not impressed. And the unfortunate reality is that there is a lot of people like this. And if you're relying on the other person to come to the gym with you, you're placing a huge amount of trust in their hands. If they message you 30 minutes before and tell you that they're no longer going, what's the chances that you're still going to go? How about if they turn up five to 10 minutes late and you've only got like one hour to work out? It's a lot of trust to place in someone. So be very mindful. And I'd actually say, potentially, if you are going to do this, have a two to three strike policy. Like outside of emergencies, actually forget three strikes. In fact, if they have, if they miss two sessions without any good reason, I'd probably drop them as a training partner. And also if you're someone's training partner and you don't want to go or can't keep up the commitment, like I think it's really important just to say it right away. Don't pull out on them last minute as you're wasting the other person's time. And then on to the next is the ability level. When I used to be a gym floor personal trainer it was really, really interesting because this happened every time. I trained two people at once. I had trained three people in the past and that was uh, a bit wild. Let's just put it that way. And there would always be one that was on a really good level and the other one was always light years behind, unfortunately. And I don't know why it was, but it was literally the case every time. And as you can imagine, the majority of my attention had to go to the person whose ability was lower because I had to keep them safe, make sure they were in the right position. And unfortunately, that meant the person who could be making tons of progress, the person was actually quite competent was being held back. And this is likely to be the case if you are training with someone. And if you're the person that doesn't quite have as much ability as your training partner, and they're okay with this, by all means, continue as you're going to get better just by learning from them. However, if you start thinking that you're on the same level, but the other person is holding you back, However, if you start to think, ah, maybe we're not on the same level and the other person is starting to hold you back, then you probably want to reconsider. When you're training with someone, it does become less about you as your rest periods are spent coaching versus recovering. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it does mean there is less focus on yourself and your session. If you can find someone at a very similar ability level, amazing, but it is unlikely, but it will be great if you do, because you can level up together. And if someone's better than you and is happy to train with you still, do as much as you can to support them so it's not so much of a one-sided relationship because you will take away a lot from that and you want to keep hold of them if they're happy to keep hold of you. And on to the final quick fire training uh, partner cons more distractions. If a rest period is 60 seconds, but you and your training partner get into an interesting conversation, that rest period is going to be way longer than it should be, leading to less intensity overall within the session. Next is you may be relying on your training partner to give you feedback and in their eyes that you might be doing great. You know, they might not really know what a good set looks like, or they might not even be focusing on what you're doing and they can't give you enough critique, meaning you're probably going to maintain those bad habits. Finally, life will come up. Aligning schedules three to four times per week every 
every week is going to be quite a challenge and life will come up at times, right? It's easy to start relying on your training partner. And if they go on holiday for two weeks, you might not be able to produce the same level of intensity as you usually would do. And it is something that we can start to rely on and not be able to quite do as much on our own. So now that I've given you all the considerations, I want to give you my take on where I personally stand. So I personally really like the idea of having a training partner. However, the practicality of this has led me to train solo, and it's highly likely that I'm going to stay training solo for the foreseeable future. Let's put it this way. I travel a lot. If I need to change my schedule, I want the freedom to do that without considering someone else's training session. I also spend my day coaching my clients, which I absolutely love. But when I'm training on my own or you know, when I'm committing to my own session, I don't really want to be coaching anyone else, to be completely honest. I also have my own coach who provides my programming for my own goals, and I'm not willing to compromise this to accommodate someone else and it's unlikely I'm going to find someone who's willing to just follow what I'm doing and therefore I'm just you know more than content with training on my own I also don't find you know if we look at the pros of the training partner I don't really need to be motivated like I'm performance driven and I won't hold back if I want to go for a heavy lift so those pros don't apply to me as much personally however this is just me and I appreciate everyone will be different so if the idea of training partner sounds good to you give it a go try a couple of different partners see who fits best with you. And if it doesn't work, train solo and reap the benefits that can come from training alone as well. So that's my thoughts on training partners. And that wraps up today's training question. So on to nutrition next. And this is a really good one. Elliot, where do I begin with intuitive eating? As I mentioned, this is a great question. And I want to start by saying intuitive eating is a skill and most of us will actually underestimate how challenging it actually is. So to give you some context, like there's entire books on intuitive eating. I mean, entire books, right? If there has to be an entire book written about it and not just an article, then it's a good chance that it's something that, you know, is more than meets the eye, let's say. And I get it. It should be something that's quite natural. And for some it is, and we'll touch on that later. But realistically, we live in a world where food is hyper palatable, unbelievably accessible. We have marketers using our own psychology against us to make it harder to resist, along with the conditioning from our youth that makes it far more of a complex concept than we would initially think. So to give you what intuitive eating is in a one sentence definition, I would essentially say that it's an approach where you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full, which sounds simple. And in theory, yes, it is simple. In reality, not so much. And that's why I want to go through four to five things today that we must do and understand to get better at intuitive eating. So the first one, we must understand the difference between physical hunger and emotional hunger slash cravings. If you listen to podcasts on my top five ways to deal with hunger and cravings, you will have heard me go through the different definition of these. Essentially, physical hunger usually comes as a byproduct of not eating for a certain period of time, usually manifested in the form of physical sensations such as an empty slash rumbling stomach, maybe even some irritability. And for the most part, you're not wanting something specific. You simply just want to eat. Cravings and emotional hunger, on the other hand, can come at any time, even after eating a large meal. It's the desire for something specific. Usually it's quite decadent or sweet, and it can stem from boredom, sadness, anxiety, etc., and can come in the form of comfort eating. 
If you can't separate the two, you'll find intuitive eating incredibly challenging. We can all get better at this through self-awareness and also for a period of time, watching what we eat and managing our calories. I find the best way for my clients to discover this is through their dieting processes, right? In the past, when you weren't conscious of what you were eating, you might have not noticed that it was actually emotional eating that was taking over. But once you've got a set plan in place and there's a little bit of resistance between you reaching for that takeaway or reaching for that chocolate bar because you've got some goals in place, it can really highlight your emotional eating tendencies and the certain cravings you're having. That afternoon snack, you weren't hungry, you were just bored. The mid-morning pick-me-up, you were not hungry, you were just tired. The chocolate in the evening, you were completely satisfied with your meal, but you needed something to comfort you. And it's imperative that you spot the difference between the two and have habits and behaviors in place that ensure that you don't succumb to the emotional eating and cravings that you experience. Step two is nutritional education. If you're eating until you're full, but your day consists of cocoa pops in the morning, a jacket potato for lunch, pasta and rice for dinner, and very little veg and protein, you'll probably be eating for the most of the day. A high protein breakfast, such as eggs or yogurt with some veg, high volume fruit, is going to be way more satiating than a bowl of shreddies. Chicken breast and tofu with a large salad is going to be far more filling than a sandwich from Pret. A high protein yogurt and dark chocolate is going to be far more satiating than a croissant. If you're not eating the right foods, your attempts at intuitive eating are going to be challenging and potentially close to, you know, not even possible. So where do we begin with this? Let's start with our trusty friend, protein. I've said this before and I'll say it again. When most people start working with us, they're genuinely amazed with how filling the meals are that we give them and they most of the time can't even finish them. And this is intentional on our parts. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be full on a diet than hungry. We start by ensuring that almost every meal has a protein source in it. Protein is satiating by nature and isn't hypercaloric either. 20 to 30 grams at each meal is a great place to start. Next, two to three meals are gonna have at least 100 to 150 grams of salad or veg in them. This provides plenty of micronutrients, but also plenty of volume with very little calories. Sometimes it's not calories that our body wants, it's food volume. Fiber is another important element to that too. And the final thing I'd like to add here is hydration. You've all heard it before. Sometimes your thirst is mistaken for hunger. And if you're adequately hydrated, you have a much better chance of being satiated and not overeating. Knowing what foods you should be eating is going to play a pivotal role in being able to successfully intuitively eat. Reduce the high carb, low protein, hyper palatable foods and meals from your repertoire and you will have more success. On to the next, meal and digestive hygiene. If you listen to episode 36, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here. Tell me, if you finish a meal in five minutes, we're eating on the move between meetings versus sitting down, being present, taking a good 15 to 20 minutes to eat that same meal, which do you think would have you feeling more satiated? The answer is pretty obvious, of course. If you're not chewing your food sufficiently, if you're not present with your meals, if you're rushing and distracted whilst eating, it's going to be very challenging for your body to be able to get the signs that food is coming in and you no longer need to eat. I'm not actually 100% sure if the whole it takes 20 minutes for your body to get the message that you're full thing is completely true, but it would make sense to say that there will be a bit of lag between food going into your system and your brain and body getting that message. 
However, if you finish that meal in five minutes, you find you're still hungry. Like that tends to be when you grab the crisps, you grab the chocolate bar, when your body hasn't even had time to recognize what you've actually eaten. The easiest way to eradicate this is go to episode 36, go through the meal hygiene checklist, pick two that you need to work on the most and work until you're taking at least seven out of 10 on that list. Onto the fourth, which will help you intuitively eat, is covering your body's fundamentals. If you are sleep deprived, you're highly stressed, you're dehydrated, you're lacking exercise, daylight, etc., you are fighting a losing battle. If your body isn't getting what it needs in the form of good sleep, water, daylight, it's not going to be running optimally whatsoever. And as a byproduct of you feeling so rough because its body's not getting everything that it needs, you're going to do anything you can to pick yourself up because you need to still operate in the normal world. And what's going to be waiting for you? Ah, yes, of course, the hyper palatable, highly accessible, highly marketed, tempting, crappy food that's in the vending machine or on the counter in the coffee shop that you find yourself in. In the past, I've gone through how poor sleep impacts your leptin and ghrelin levels, which are responsible for your hunger and satiety. I don't need to tell you how stress impacts your eating. Most of us are fully aware that we emotionally eat and we binge eat when stressed. You really will be fighting a losing battle if you do not address these. And on to the fifth and final consideration. I would not recommend trying to intuitively eat during a fat loss phase. I wouldn't recommend it whatsoever. A fat loss phase for me should not be built around sustainability. It should be built so that you can get in and out in the most efficient and safest manner possible and get the best results you can. No one wants to be in a fat loss phase longer than they should be. By tracking your foods, eating according to some type of structured plan, managing your calorie and macro intake, you increase your chances of dieting success exponentially. The time for intuitive eating comes afterwards. In the reverse diet episode, I went through your body's biggest priorities. We've got to remember this, procreation and survival. If you're low on body fat, you're restricting calories, which is natural during a fat loss phase, your body's inbuilt system of survival is likely going to override your desire for intuitive eating and just want you to consume food so it can do its daily functions. If this was a thousand years ago and you had to hunt for your food and the only thing you could get access to was these berries that are on the tree, that's totally fine. But as we live in a world where delivery is on our phones and there are shops that will deliver a dozen donuts to our doorsteps, those instinctual mechanisms are only going to lead you to bigger, bigger challenges if you try to intuitively eat during a fat loss phase. So get to where you want to be first, follow a structured reverse diet, and then go about learning to intuitively eat. So those are the five things that I want you to consider when attempting to intuitively eat. It's going to take time, practice, patience. I also don't think you should abandon tracking in every single form. Like if you want to track calories or check something on MyFitnessPal from time to time, that's totally fine. Or if occasionally you do want to weigh your avocado to find out how much fat you're getting, I see absolutely nothing wrong with this. So that is the intuitive eating question and on to our final lifestyle and mindset question. Elliot, what's one uncommon piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's just starting their journey? Oh, this is a good one. And I have a good answer to this, I think, too. You'll hear me talk about things like structure, persistence, consistency, ticking your boxes, not relying on motivation, delaying gratification, building good habits and all that type of stuff very regularly. I could, you know, you could literally create me as like one of these, you know, those toy dolls where you pull the string on the back and I come out with those catchphrases. That would literally be it. Tick your boxes, delay gratification, (laughs) build good habits, persistence. Anyway, I digress. And it's for damn good reason as well. If everyone implemented what I just said and we had that, that pull the string doll that repeats all those mantras to you, we'd all be successful. So anyway, but there are a couple of things that I perhaps talk about in a bit more detail with my clients as they tend to be specific 
specific to their journeys. And there's one question that I nearly ask pretty much everyone when I first speak with them ahead of joining the EHC team. And I also follow up with what I want those guys to consider as well. And the question is this, what's going to keep you going when things get really tough? And the reason being is that when most of us start, we think of the upside and, you know, the initial challenges that are going to come our way, right? We think about the result we want to achieve, you know, the six-pack abs, the dream beach body, the maintaining, you know, the, the body of our dreams for the years to come. And then we also think about, you know, the potential downsides that are going to come very soon. Might have to cut out alcohol, chocolate, our favorite foods, etc. We know what's coming in those initial stages and we know the big goal that we're working towards as well. No one's thinking about that second dip of motivation four months into their journey. No one's thinking about being seven months in to the process when they expected to achieve their result in three months. No one is thinking about when they get halfway to their result, they feel 10 times better than they did, but they can't quite get themselves to push to that final level of where they really want to be, right? We don't consider these things. And it's incredibly important to think about not only the initial challenges, but also what's likely to come much later down the line. Like what's tripped you up in the past? What are your tendencies that you know might get in the way? And then the next step to this is putting actionable strategies in place. Let's take the example, like I'm 10 kilos down. I've got 15 kilos to drop and you know I can't quite get motivated to get going again. What do I know about myself that will help me get through it? Let's have a real think about this, like really get in touch with yourself. Well, I know that I do really well on structured plans, so perhaps I need a reset where I go on a meal plan again for four weeks and I just cancel all my socials for a month. That will help me get on, on track and I'll see some changes on the scales and I'll be ready to go again. I'll also kindly thank people for their compliments, but I'll ask them to keep their compliments to themselves until I've achieved my my real goal because it tempts me to take my foot off the gas. I'm going to be very honest with myself here. And another example might be, okay, I know what I'm like with my work. At the end of the quarter, I know how busy I'm going to be and I'll be lost in my work for at least the final two to three quarters, the uh, final two to three weeks, sorry, of every single quarter. So what do I need to do? I need to be ultra prepared with my food. Maybe I use a meal prep company just for these two to three weeks to make life easier for myself. I need to train first thing in the morning so I don't skip my workouts when things are naturally going to get busy later in the day. Perhaps maybe I need to anticipate that my progress on the scales might be a little bit slower because of I'll be more stressed because of the quarter's ending and I'll probably compromise my sleep as well. And finally, I will need to make sure that I set a date on the calendar when the quarter ends where I switch back to giving 110% right? Do you see how powerful that can be? I think this is huge. And I want you guys to really think about this. If you've got any long-term goals, like challenges will inevitably come. If you've worked towards similar goals, you may even know which challenges are going to come. And it makes so much more sense to go in prepared than to go in without a plan of action. Really thinking about what is going to trip you up and literally to that exact example, what you will do to overcome it. You've got that action strategy in your back pocket, ready to go. And staying power, right? Staying power is so underrated. And I heard a quote recently that resonated with me. It was very, very simple. It said, consistency over intensity consistency over intensity. It doesn't matter if you can give 110% for eight to 12 weeks and you burn out. I'd rather see you give 80 to 90% for the course of 20 to 30 weeks, get the result you wanted to, even if it takes longer for us to get there. If you think about those potential challenges that you'll face in advance, your chances of success are far higher. Those challenges will come. 
So equip yourself with a solution so that there's going to be nothing that's going to slow you down in the pursuit of your goals. And that seems like a fantastic place to wrap up today. So I want to thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Take a screenshot and put it on your Instagram story. I appreciate each and every one of you who does this on a regular basis. And I want this to be the most popular fitness podcast out there so we can reach more and more people and they can get the benefit from the simple and actionable advice that comes with each and every episode. So that is everything from me, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and we'll speak very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.